To get us started this morning, I thought I'd do something which I haven't done for a while. I brought my show and tell bag. Yeah, this is cool. I want to show you one of my most treasured possessions. When I was a, an early, in my early teens, I was quite a keen ornithologist. And uh, I liked studying birds. When I became a late teenager, I still studied birds, but they looked a little different. <laughs> but my mum and my dad, yeah, <laughs> that's the reality of it all. My mum and my dad gave me a set of binoculars. Binoculars are the most wonderful thing. Buy for two, oculars, we've got two eyes, and, the, and you can look at things. In Dutch, we call them a kvaddekeker which means a far looker, right? It brings things that are far away, close. Totally cool piece of equipment. You can focus it using this big knob here. And if your eyes are a little bit out of whack, which mine are, you can actually focus it so one eye so it gets perfect and the other eye will then match up with it. And it's just an amazing thing. You can look at things that are far away and you can bring them close by. I thought that's the most amazing thing to think about because that's precisely what this verse of scripture, which Bill read for us from Hebrews, does for us. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, I've preached lots of sermons on this particular passage, in context, out of context, run down all sorts of theological rabbit warrens as a result of that. But since I'm preaching my way through Hebrews, now line upon line, precept upon precept, what is the writer saying to us here? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I think what he's done is he's given us a pair of binoculars to look at what's far away and bring it close by to us. Because what has he done so far? The writer to the Hebrews has been comparing. He's been comparing all of the Old Testament law. He's been comparing the Old Testament sacrifices. He's been comparing the Old Testament priesthood. Comparing it to what? To who? To Jesus. That's who. That's what? Our Lord and our Saviour. He's been showing us that all of the Old Testament law, all of the Old Testament sacrifices were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The one-off sacrifice for sin. He's been showing us that the Old Testament priesthood had been fulfilled in Christ who is now a priest in the order of Melchizedek, an everlasting, ongoing priesthood on behalf of all the people. Now, the Old Testament people, they had an advantage because they could go to the temple, or before that they could go to the tabernacle, and they could take along their sacrifice. So that would have been whatever it was, a goat of some kind, or a lamb of some kind, or a dove, depending on, on your wealth status, whatever it was. And they could see that sacrifice. And they could watch the priest as he laid his hands on that sacrifice and pronounced that that sacrifice became their sin. And they could see the priests cut the throat of the sacrifice. They could smell the blood. They could experience all of that firsthand. And they knew something was being done about their sin. They could experience that in a wonderful way that we don't. It's different for us now. Now, that particular sacrifice could cover over their sins, but it couldn't take away the actual guilt of their sins. It couldn't cleanse their conscience. So what we need is a pair of binoculars because something that's far away needs to be brought close to us. We need a fatter caker. 
right? Some look away, far away, bring it close. That's what the writer of the Hebrews says. What I want you to do now, says the writer of Hebrews, he says, you've got all of this Old Testament stuff. You don't have that anymore. And he's writing to us as well. And he says, now I want you to see something that's far away and bring it close to yourself. How do we bring the far away sacrifice of Jesus close to ourselves? We do that by faith. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. What am I surely hoping for? My hope is that one day I will see Jesus with these physical eyes of mine. I will be in his face-to-face presence. I'm going to be in heaven. Are you? Yes. And you know what? There's a day coming when God is going to remake this earth. And he's going to be living with his people. And it's going to be like it was in the days of Eden all over again. I'm looking forward to that day. Bring it on, Lord. That's what I'm hoping for. And we need to bring that close to ourselves. We bring it close to ourselves by faith. And I am certain of what I do not see. The Old Testament guys, they could be certain of the sacrifice taking place because they dragged that lamb to the temple themselves. They dragged it to the tabernacle themselves. And they saw what the priest did. Well, I can't see what Jesus did. Not with these eyes. I can see it with the eyes of faith. That's where I need my faith binoculars for. I need to bring this close to myself. By faith, I can bring Jesus and his sacrifice close to me. I can see it by faith. I can see Jesus hanging on the cross. I can see that he was scourged for me. I can see his blood dripping. I can see his side pierced by the spear. I can see all of that by faith. That's how I bring it close to myself. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 is the binoculars verse of the Bible that brings all of that stuff close. How do we do that? We no longer have the advantage of the actual temple or the actual tabernacle or the actual priest. We need to do this all by faith. That might be enough of a sermon today. We can have a cup of coffee then. You want some more? You do? Okay. Well, you asked for it. Let's move away from the binoculars for a moment. But I want to talk to you some more about faith. Faith is about, is about what we believe. Now, faith is easy when the sun is shining, isn't it? When you've got plenty of money in the bank, when the surgery was successful, when your marriage is doing well. But it's much harder to believe when the sky is dark, when your children are sick, when the cancer returns, when your friends betray you, you lose your job, the pastor disappoints you, and your marriage falls apart. Eh? All of us need help to keep believing when the hard times come. And they surely will come in every one of our lives. Whilst we're stuck on planet Earth, hard times happen. And faith has been very sadly misunderstood. Many people would agree with a little boy who said this, faith is believing what you know isn't true. Uh, Lots of people think that's what faith is all about. Or they think that that faith is the opposite of rational thought. You know, as, as if faith was nothing more than some sort of positive mantra or wishful thinking. Many people make the mistake, mistake of confusing faith with feeling. So if they don't feel it, it can't be true. I don't want to talk about that stuff. I want to talk about a different kind of faith. And faith is something which is so much better illustrated than it is explained. We all know men and women of faith who inspire us, I'm sure. Almost always it is, is those people whose faith has been made strong through adversity. Faith has, that has never been put to the test is just theoretical faith, really. We don't need a textbook on faith. We need to see faith in overalls. 
don't we? We need to something to someone to show what is it like in the nitty gritty of life. Well, if you read Hebrews chapter eleven, that's where you'll see what faith looks like in the nitty gritty of life. More than any other chapter of the Bible, it shows us what faith is like on the firing line. When we study these men and these women, and that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks as we work our way through the letter of the Hebrews, we're going to study particularly this chapter. We're going to see how faith works itself out in the lives of ordinary men and women. And let's, let's face it, they were ordinary men and women. I know they are the heroes of faith, but they were just like you and just like me, but they were ordinary men and women working under enormous pressure. They faced great odds. Often the whole world was against them. They lived by faith and they won God's, God's approval. When I read Hebrews chapter 11, I say to myself, wow, that's what it means to keep on believing. And I say, God help me to live like that. As I preach this message, I'd like to copy the early disciples when they said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. Yes. I want to see my faith grow and be stretched. And I want the same thing for you. So that's why we're going to, to climb this, this mountain peak of Holy Scripture, Hebrews chapter 11. I believe that no one who's put their trust in God will ever be disappointed. And I'm sure that the writer of this epistle would agree. And in fact, I think that's the real point of the chapter. He wants us to keep believing because in the end, we will be glad that we did. Faith, by the way, is never meant to be a one-time experience. In our circles, evangelical Christian circles, it's tempting to fall into, the, into that trap because we put so much emphasis on the fact that we need to be saved by faith. We talk about accepting Christ, receiving Christ, trusting Christ, giving your heart to Christ. We challenge people to respond in, in faith to the gospel invitation that's all well and good but sometimes we leave the impression that that being saved by faith is it and the rest is up to us that's not so the same faith that saves us is the faith that carries us day by day as we make this journey from earth to heaven that's why the bible says in the reading from habakkuk the verse we missed out it says the righteous will live by his faith that's you and me. And we are told that the gospel reveals a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, says Paul in the letter to the Romans. The whole Christian life is a life by faith. We are saved by faith. We are kept by faith. We walk by faith. We endure by faith. We rejoice by faith. We serve by faith. We love by faith. We sacrifice by faith. We pray by faith. We worship by faith. We obey by faith. We get married by faith. And my goodness, don't we do that? Hey, you don't know what they're going to turn out like. <laughs> we have children by faith, don't we? What are they going to turn out like? Oh, we still pray for them by faith. All that we do, we do by faith. Why is faith so important? Well, I jotted down a short list to help focus my thinking. Faith is the condition of our justification. Well, that's a big word for you. Justification means it's just as if I never sinned, right? That's what it's all about. How do I get to be in such a state just as if I never sinned? Because you know me, and I know you, and I know we all sin. How do I get to be like that? By faith. Faith in Jesus. By, by, by faith, we receive everlasting life. By faith, we have access to God. Faith is the only way to please God. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith is the key to answered prayer. Faith is the title deed to everything that God has promised us. We need to understand faith. 
God himself is entirely faithful. He honors those who love him enough to trust him completely. And the question before us today is simple and profound. What is faith? How does it work? That's a crucial topic. And I think we often don't appreciate how precious and precarious the life of faith is. The entire Bible has no clear instruction on faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Most of us know it as the hall of fame of faith. And here we have a long list of Old Testament heroes, most of them introduced by the, by the phrase, by faith. By faith, let me read them to you. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses' parents. By faith, Moses. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, Rahab the prostitute. Do you get the idea? By faith. It's a whole big journey. By faith. And he doesn't even have time to mention the individual exploits of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And they are all other heroes of the faith. And they are summarized in this fashion. I like this particular passage of scripture. Listen to this. These are heroes of the faith. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Oh, preach that one, brother. Hey, bring it on. That's exciting. That's an exciting verse of scripture. A wonderful list. And we can think of all the great biblical heroes who did these things, but that's only part of the story. There's the other side of the faith coin. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 and 38 record the trials of faith. Listen to this. There were others who were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. Sorry, prosperity doctrine. It just fell in a hole, that one, didn't it? That's the other side of the faith journey. Now, who are these poor souls? What have they done to deserve such punishment? The writer simply calls them others. Others who lived by faith. These men and women, they endured such torment and they were living by faith just as much as Noah and Moses and Abraham or Joshua lived by faith. Their faith was not weaker. If anything, their faith was stronger because it enabled them to endure incredible suffering. These are not lesser saints because they found no miracle. If anything, they are greater saints because they were faithful even things when things didn't work out right. Faith. Verse 39 gives us a summary statement of the whole list. These were all commended for their faith. Now, as I sit back and study this list, there are three things that emerge very quickly. These individuals, they are widely separated by time and space and by personality and by individual achievement. They are joined by one common factor. What they did, they did by faith. And that's why they won God's approval. There isn't much that joins Abraham, Father Abraham, and Rahab the prostitute. Except this. At a crucial moment in time, each one acted in faith. God saw their faith and he rewarded it. 
Living by faith often meant moving against the prevailing tide of public opinion. Noah built an ark where there was no water. Abraham left Ur, the city where he was so prosperous, and left his father's gods. He left Lot. Moses, could have been the king of Egypt, he rejected all of that. Joshua, he marched round and round Jericho until the walls fell down. The same principle holds true today. If you decide to live by faith, you will definitely stand out from the crowd. And you may well face opposition and ridicule. Hebrews chapter 11 demonstrates the life of faith that is not actually a rarity. It's easy to look back at Enoch or Noah or Joseph or Moses or David and say, I can never do that. Deep down in our hearts we believe the lie that this life of faith is restricted to those special people. We think we could never qualify to have our names added to the list of Hebrews chapter 11. But that's the very reason that chapter is in the Bible. So that we would know that these ordinary men and women did extraordinary things simply because they had faith in God. They are made of the same stuff as you and I. Same red blood in their veins. They were human, like you and me. The life of faith is within the reach of every single believer. If we desire it, we can be like this as well. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, offers a concise definition of faith. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I like the way it's put in the old King James Bible. I don't often quote the King James, but this one I like. It says, now faith is the substance of of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The word substance is an unusual word. It refers to the essential nature of things. It was sometimes used of the foundation of a house and outside the New Testament was used for the title deed for the property. So faith, faith is the title deed to the things in the future, things hoped for, things promised by the Lord. It's the confident assurance that what we hope for will someday come to pass. And the word evidence refers to legal proof in a courtroom. Faith is proof to our souls that enables us to see things that cannot be seen by the naked eye. By faith we see what would otherwise be invisible. Verse 2 adds this important truth, and this is what the ancients were commended for. When the writer mentions the ancients, he's talking about the Old Testament saints like Noah, Moses, David, Ruth, Esther, Job, Daniel, all the others that trusted in God. The text literally says they received a witness. Now, this isn't a Pentecostal church, but if I was an excited Pentecostal pastor in some sort of places, and I know we've got one that uh, knows a little bit about this sort of thing sitting in the audience here, but I would say, Do I, can I receive a witness for that? And someone would say, Amen! Yeah? Can I have a witness for that? There you go. That's how it works. That's what verse 2 means. They want someone to shout amen. But in this case, the witness is God. Only God's doing the witnesses, witnessing. When Moses stood up for righteousness, when David slew Goliath, when the three Hebrew children refused to bow down, when Nehemiah rebuilt the walls, when Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal, in all these moments, God looked down from heaven and he said, Amen. That's my boy. That's my girl. Those are my kids. They belong to me. Amen, says God. God loves it when his people dare to trust him. 
He loves it so much that he bears witness to the world that these are his people and they belong to him. Now, we feel separated from Abraham. We are. We separated from David. We are. These great heroes of the faith, they seem so far removed from us. It's hard to think of the Apostle John trying to sync his iPhone. Right? <laughs> or Jeremiah offering, ordering a coffee at Macca's. What did it happen? It just doesn't work in the brain, does it? We tend to think of them as some sort of dim, misty characters whose faces appear to us out of the Old Testament here that we don't want to try to read too much because it's too difficult. Yet one thing joins them with us. Faith. Faith. We've got the same faith they had. What they did, they did by faith. Time, culture, language, history. There's a vast gap between us and them. Yet what won them approval wins us approval too. Faith. That's what God honours. And let's face it, these old timers, they knew a lot less than you and I did. Yeah. They had skerricks and scraps of information. We got the whole revelation. Old Testament and New Testament, nicely bound in a cover. And if you get a flash worm, the words of Jesus in red. Yeah. We've got the whole kit and caboodle. They didn't have any of that. God honors faith. God says, you show me a little faith and I'll show you a lot. Hey? Let, me, let me stop for a moment for a bit of application. There's a sense of which living by faith requires a measure of holy discontent. You've got to want some things that you don't have in order to have faith because faith always deals with things hoped for. If you've already got everything you need and want and desire, if for you all the promises of God have already come true, if you reach the state of spiritual perfection, if all your prayers have been answered, if all your loved ones are saved and serving the Lord, if there's no lack anywhere in your life that you can see, you don't need faith because you're already in heaven. You just don't realize it. If you're satisfied with the current state of affairs, you can skip this sermon and go home, really. Don't worry about it anymore. The thought occurs to me that as long as I'm living on this world, I'm going to need faith. And so are you. As long as marriages break up, as long as children suffer, as long as killing continues, as long as our leaders disappoint us, as long as there's hatred and violence and prejudice and all manner of evil in this world, as long as death reigns, we will need faith because the things hoped for have not yet come to pass. So what then is faith? Think about these three words, believe, see, and do. Faith believes what others do not believe. Faith sees what others do not see. Faith does what others do not do. True faith is never passive, never. True faith moves us to act, to do, to try, to build, to attempt, to expand, to say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness. Faith joint encourages, encourages us to join, to speak out, to move forward, to dare, to dream beyond our means and to walk around Jericho again and again until at last the walls come tumbling down. Faith is an outrageous trust in God. Outrageous trust is what you have to have if you're going to build an ark hundreds of kilometres from any body of water. Outrageous trust is what compels you to leave your home like Abraham did, not knowing where you were going. 
You just win. Outrageous trust sends you to the Elah Valley to face Goliath. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed outrageous trust in God? If not, I think your Christian life's been a bit too boring. Really. As we come to, towards the end of today's message, we can draw three important conclusions about the nature of faith. Faith is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It's a conscious choice to believe what God has said. We will never progress in the spiritual life as long as we stay on the plane of our feelings. I'm sure Noah actually didn't feel like building the ark. He might never have laid the first piece of gopher wood down if he waited until he felt like it. If Joshua waited to feel like marching around Jericho, those walls might still be standing. Feelings are important, but they're not the basis of true faith. When you are in a hospital waiting room while the loved one is in surgery, you may not or you might feel positive. I doubt it. In that moment, you consciously need to choose to believe what God has said and what he is, and what he will do, and what he says he'll do. You'll probably have to make that choice a hundred times in a day. Faith chooses, then acts, and then the feelings follow on afterwards. And faith, and faith acts even in the, doubt of, in the face of doubt and opposition. If we wait until the circumstances are in our favour, we're probably going to wait forever. David didn't wait for Goliath to go blind, did he? He just slung that stone. He trusted God. He walked down the valley to face the giant. If we wait for our doubts to disappear, we'll have to wait a long time. Someone said these words, faith is belief plus unbelief and acting on the belief part. I like that. That's so real. <coughs> Sooner or later, you have to act on the belief part. Abraham did. Moses did. Samuel did. All the heroes of the Bible acted on the belief part. And I believe that we can too. Faith sees what others don't see. My favorite definition of faith comes from Philip Yancey, who said this. He said, faith means believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse. That's cool. That's cool. So many things in this life make no sense to us. And I can imagine that every one of us has a few very deep and personal questions that defy all human answers. We want to know why things happen the way they do and why couldn't things have happened some other way. It'd be wrong to say that faith provides all the answers. It doesn't. Perhaps in heaven we'll fully understand or maybe our desire to know things will be transformed by just seeing Jesus. I really don't know. By faith we see things that are invisible to others and by faith we believe in advance those things that right now make no sense but one day will make perfect sense because we'll view them in reverse. The world says seeing is believing. God says believing is seeing. Okay? We believe, therefore we see. One final word and I'm finished. Biblical faith is never faith in faith. We, you know, if, as if we were believing in it on our own powers or logic or some self-persuasion. Faith can never be stronger than the object in which it rests. Since our faith rests on the Lord Jesus Christ, the essence of faith is following him. 
wherever he's going to lead you. He's a little acrostic. He's printed I think in your in your uh, in your out- outline. Faith, F, forsaking. A, all, I, I. T, take. H, him. Forsaking all, I take him. That's what faith is. Our call is not to understand everything. Our call is to follow Christ wherever he leads, whatever the cost is going to be. And the word of Christ will always be the same. He says, come, follow me. That's what he says, doesn't he? That's what he did for each one of us. We need to try it out. We need to put our life in his hands. To be a disciple of Christ means to get on the Jesus road and to follow wherever it takes you. There are no guarantees. There are no deals. There are no special promises. You simply walk the road every day, following in his footsteps. Don't be afraid to follow Jesus, really. You'll never regret starting down the Jesus road. You'll only regret that you waited so long to do it. Are you really ready as a church to follow him wherever he leads? That's all he wants. And some of you might say, well, hang on a second. What if Jesus asked me to do something I can't do? He will. I'm here doing what I can't do, what I didn't want to do. I'd rather sit up the back there. Thank you very much. Yeah, with Keith. I want to sit beside Keith up the back there. That's where I want to be. I don't want to be out here spouting. But God enables it. He gives me the resources. If you decide to follow Jesus, he'll ask you to do the impossible and then he'll help you do it. That's the way it works. Our part is simply to take the next step. Just take the next step. The next step, that's all God asks us to do. One step. You don't have to see the whole plan. You don't have to see ten steps down the road. Faith means taking the next step in front of you and leaving the rest in the hands of God. And faith is the law of the kingdom. Every blessing of the kingdom is available to those who put their faith to work moment by moment, day by day, one little step at a time. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. I wonder if there might be some other names that could be listed added to that list. By faith, Kerry. By faith, Kevin. By faith, John. By faith, Louise. There go the rest of the congregation. This list in Hebrews chapter 11 hasn't got a proper ending, really. It's got the others. That's you and that's me. We live and we walk by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you have put in the Revelation. Thank you that you enable us to to get a hold of it and to pick it apart and to look at what it really means. Thank you that the gift of faith, even that comes from you. Thank you that you've given us faith which is sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Father, enable us to take hold of that over the next weeks in a really deep and profound way. That someday our names will be added to that long list of men and women who lived and who died by faith. 